Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. I know I've been kind of scattershot with when I release these things. We are doing it once a week, so I'm being consistent with that. But some weeks I've been on Friday. Some weeks I've been on Thursday. I had planned on yesterday, but we had a little tropical storm down here in Houston. I say little. It was actually really massive. It was really bad stuff, and a whole lot of people are struggling with it. So I don't mean to make light of it. It was named Imelda. I'll make light of that a little bit. I haven't, I haven't heard of an Imelda since Imelda Marcos, who – from my 10-year-old memory was the wife of a dictator in the Philippines, and she had a lot of shoes. That was a notable thing about her, and I think he was one of the last vestiges of the Cold War that, hey, look, we installed them back in the day when we needed them, and then things got a little aggressive. You got you to gotta play along to get along, Mr. Marcos, so he took all his wife's shoes. Now Imelda is exacting her revenge on the Gulf Coast. I do want to thank all of you who left reviews last week. And I got a bunch of them. I really appreciate it. Big Fort 4444 said you need to have Ted Johnson on more often. Listening to you is gold. I will try to have Ted on more often. The thing about Ted is Ted's very open about this. When Ted was done playing football, Ted Johnson, for those of you who didn't hear the episode, three-time Super Bowl champion with the Patriots, when he was done playing football and he had retired after some really bad concussions, had some head trauma, played through some concussions, stuff that never, ever, ever would happen these days. Ted was kind of the the unfortunate guinea pig for some of the really bad ways that you can handle concussions. Ted ended up having some bouts with alcohol, well, excuse me, not alcohol, but with drug abuse, and, and really had a rough time of it, and he's gotten his life back on track. He's been on track for a while now, and and is really turning into a success story, but he's very careful about what his commitments are. So we, we talked after the interview for a while about, hey, maybe we can work something out, but he's careful about what commitments he brings on, and I'll have him on from time to time as as it works with his schedule. But Ted's doing a great job up there in Boston, and if you ever want to read or or see some of the stuff he's done with concussion research, CTE research, all of that, as well as the substance and uh, substance abuse stuff. Just just Google him. He's got a lot of stuff out there. Uh, let's see. Wise Citizens, who I believe I was on their podcast once last year. I need to go on it again. Phenomenal podcast. Seth is involved heavily in the Houston sports world. Former Jaguars and Texans player who gives a unique insight to his audience. Also, Seth has a unique voice that stands out. You'd want to subscribe to this podcast. I don't know if that means voice like a writer's voice, the, the kind of the, the voice with which you speak, or my actual voice which has been described as a bassy, nasally thing, which doesn't sound all that good. Uh, and then one more great podcast. Finally, listen to the podcast, and it was great hearing you and Teddy J. Like your perspective, and it's nice to hear you off the radio. So that was from Chewy UCLA. So thank, so thank you, guys. Uh, as far as my voice off radio, the reason that I'm on Friday today instead of Thursday was that yesterday, because of Imelda, 
I ended up doing 12 hours of radio from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it was really cool. I got to work with some guys. John Lopez here is a, a host that I've never done a full show with. I did eight hours of radio with him yesterday. But we tried to keep people updated about the weather situation. And then we talked a whole bunch of sports and a whole bunch of nonsense after that as well. But it, it never felt like work at all. The only issue with it was that I didn't get to do my other obligations like this podcast. And there's so much to talk about. I know I tell you every week that I'm going to quit Antonio Brown eventually. I can't do it. You know I can't quit Antonio Brown because he's the gift that keeps giving content as well as a whole other, other, a whole other bunch of stuff. I'm a little punchy, okay? Let's, let's be honest. Let's get it out there right now. I'm punchy as hell because of that 12 hours of radio. I don't feel physically tired from it, but I'm having a hard time remembering names. I'm having a hard time recalling the appropriate words to use. I'm stumbling a lot. Just like that, ironically, when you stumble on the word stumble. And I'm not going to edit any of this. We're just going to, we're going to work our way through this, damn it. And we're going to talk about this stuff and we're going to do it now. No, I, I get I get nervous, man. But uh, you know, you, you be nervous and go through it. You know, play and just play till you ain't. Do you ever think about the fact that you're this is the NFL and it's national televised, and you just got here and it's rest of your mind at all? Uh, sometimes, but uh, it, more than anything, it motivates me because uh, you know, a lot of people never thought I'd get this opportunity. So now that I do have it, I got to make the most of it. That, my friends, is the voice of Gardner Minshew II, a name which you will remember for the rest of your lives, or possibly you might not remember it at all, and it's just going to be a trivia question on Sporkle. You ever do Sporkle? It's a little sports trivia website app. It's, it's addictive. It'll make you feel stupid, but that kid from your high school that was a complete sports nerd dominates Sporkle. So is Gardner Minshew going to be just a trivia question on Sporkle someday? Or is he going to be a guy that we actually know his name and pronounce it correctly because he comes out and plays really, really well for the next 10 years? We know this. We know it's a little too early to tell with these things. It's notable that he is among the top five rated passers over their first three games in NFL history. There are guys like Marcus Mariota, who didn't look so hot last night, but then there are also guys like Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly's actually fifth highest passer rating uh, among the first three starts. That was in an earlier era when passer rating wasn't as easy to come by. The other guys are RG3 and Carson Wentz. So I would say with two of those other four, pretty good prognostics. Um, and then with two other ones, then you might be a little bit dicey there. Marcus Mariota and RG3. I still think RG3. RG3, if he had just been able to stay healthy, who knows what might have happened. And if he'd been a little bit more cooperative and done more of what the Shanahan bros. I say the Shanahan bros. It was father-son, obviously. But I just I, I feel like they're bros. Who knows what he might have done if he had stayed healthy and, and been a little bit more compliant with what those guys wanted to do. So far, I'm, I'm hooked on... Gardner Minshew II, for one, Minshew mania rolls off the tongue really well. You barely have to use the tongue. It's Minshew mania. That's all lip there. That's all meh. Minshew mania. There's alliteration. It flows into one word. That's why Minshew mania became a thing before Gardner Minshew had even won a game. The other thing is this. His name makes a little bit more sense now. There had been, and I might have even said this on this podcast because I read this, that there had been a story that he was Gardner Minshew II, even though there wasn't another Gardner Minshew. His father's name is Flynn, or he goes by Flynn. Turns out his father's name actually is Gardner, 
And instead of calling him Junior, they called him Gardner Minshew II because where they grew up, where he grew up in the Deep South, his mom said, if you're the second or if you're named Junior, you're going to be called Junior. So he would have been called Junior Minshew. You're either Junior or you're a Bubba. And then other than that, they'll, they'll actually call your name. So I thought a pretty good strategic move by Gardner Minshew Moms the second. No, wait. <laughs> Gardner Minshew the second's mom. So good for her. Gardner's dad I'm fascinated by. He's a contractor who just I, apparently this spring just bought and, and, and started a gym of his own. He's yoked. He's a really big dad. He's the kind of dad that when you were a kid, you had a dad like that. Uh, one of your friend's dads that you looked up at too is like he was a mountain. And because I'm looking at a picture of Gardner Minshew's dad standing next to Gardner Minshew, and Minshew's not a small dude. He's six foot one, but he's also not a he's not a skinny little guy. And his dad is huge next to him. And you see him, they they flip to him all the time because he's very demonstrative. He's got that even when he's happy, he looks angry and aggressive. I feel like Gardner Minshew's dad is going to have a podcast or a exercise show at some point. Not a fitness show, but like uh, uh, a meathead type of working out. There used to be more meathead type shows on ESPN back when they used that to fill in filler time. I think that Gardner Minshew's dad is built for that. As far as Gardner Minshew, the quarterback goes, I think there's this. People have a natural tendency to think, oh, air raid quarterback played at Washington State with Mike Leach, and he probably doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Well, air raid quarterbacks are kind of starting to take over and become more and more prevalent in the NFL. And there is a theory that air raid quarterbacks, when you compare them to other spread quarterbacks at least, might be a little bit more ready and adept at, at adapting to the NFL because they have a lot more authority at the line of scrimmage than other spread quarterbacks. You know when you watch college football, you see those kids look into the sideline for instruction on every single play. And they do take in the play from the sideline with the air raid, but they're also allowed, the quarterbacks are allowed to make a lot of checks at the line of scrimmage and... They also go through a progression. It's not one of these get rid of it immediately no matter what and you know where you're throwing the ball. There, there's some more mental work to being an air raid quarterback, and I think you start to see that in some of these quarterbacks. And I think Gardner Minshew himself, he doesn't look flustered by whatever complexity they're putting into that the offense with Jacksonville. I think he looks really good under center. He looks comfortable. I know, he look, he played at three different places, and he played, he played at two colleges before – he got to Washington State. So he's got some experience having to adapt to different schemes. And there's all kinds of stories coming out about him. He told Barstool Sports on their podcast that he he was trying to get a medical red shirt one year at East Carolina. So he went home, drank a bunch of whiskey, and tried to smash his throwing hand. His throwing hand with a hammer. And he wasn't successful. He hit it three times, couldn't break it, and just told his coach that he had slammed it in a car door or something. I don't, I'm don't. i not 100% convinced that I believe that story, but I want to believe it because I, I want Gardner Minshew to be a folk hero. Too few, too few folk heroes out here. In this day and age where quarterbacks are becoming more like accountants than they are gunslingers, I like the concept of a Gardner Minshew II, a guy that can maybe, maybe kind of be bigger than life in a lot of ways. As far as his dad, one other point about his dad. I just hope that we don't get sick of his dad. I don't think we will. I know that sometimes overbearing football fathers can be a little bit much. If the camera starts to find Gardner Minshew's dad and Gardner Minshew's dad maybe ends up uh, having, oh, oh, uh, you know who it was. Was it Connor Cook, the quarterback whose father was discovered to be on message boards and maybe had a few politically disagreeable takes 
Connor, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to look up Connor Cook's father internet. And I, I, gosh, I really hope it's not like that. Connor Cook's dad seems to be a big shithead. That's by Deadspin. So there's something to that. I don't remember exactly what it was. Don't be one of these dads that's a big that's being described as a big shithead by Deadspin at some point. Regardless of how you feel about Deadspin itself, there don't don't be one of those guys because Connor Cook, Connor Cook was a much different personality than Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew seems to be the perfect dude and really agreeable. Where Connor Cook had the reputation of not being the most awesome dude on earth. But David Carr's dad, I played with David Carr when David Carr was a rookie and on into his second, maybe his third year, David's dad, father, David's father, Roger, I believe, was out at practice every single day. And his brothers were out at practice a lot too, one of whom was Derek Carr, little wiry Derek Carr, who had a hell of an arm. I used to watch him throwing the ball around before and after practice. The kid was impressive. I didn't know he was going to be an NFL quarterback, but the kid was impressive. At one point, finally, and I think it may have been when we were struggling one season, enough players had started asking Capers, Dom Capers, hey, can my family come out to practice? And and it got to be uncomfortable, too uncomfortable, where Dom had to set a policy of saying, hey, no family out here at practice. And obviously, you can't have that policy for everybody except David Carr. So uh, Roger was always cool. He wasn't overbearing or anything. I just got the sense that he was really close to his son and he wanted to be out there. The one thing that I don't like about Gardner Minshew II is the thick headband. I can't get with that thick headband that some of the white kids are wearing. Uh, Baker Mayfield does the same thing. It almost just looks – there's something about it where I feel like you're – I feel like you're doing the spring cleaning in your 1950s housewife. There's some look about it that I just flat out don't like. But I'll get over it eventually. I'm turning into a grumpy old man. These are the kinds of things I fixate on. The, the really fascinating thing to watch here is going to be when Nick Foles comes back. Nick Foles was guaranteed $45 million by the Jaguars. This would be among the ballsiest moves I've seen a coach make. If Doug Marone actually has the authority to bench Nick Foles and and start Gardner Minshew. And as I say that, I realize, no, it's going to be Tom Coughlin who has the authority to do it. It would be Tom Coughlin's decision. Tom Coughlin doesn't have anything to lose at this point in his life. His legacy in the NFL is secure. And I don't think that Tom Coughlin's worried about it as long as he can – as long as he can convince Shad Khan, the owner, that let's say three, four, five games from now, if Minshew is still playing really well and they like the way he looked better than Nick Foles, then maybe they go ahead and roll with him. That would be a ballsy move. When they did it with Tom Brady, Tom Brady was a sixth-round pick, just like Gardner Minshew. They had just – the Patriots had just – given Drew Bledsoe a pretty big deal the year before. And I know back then it was, I want to say it was a $100 million deal, deal, but it was structured differently than than deals today are. I, I don't think it was 50 or $60 million guaranteed or anything like that. But it was a big move. And at that time, Bill Belichick did not have the clout that he does now. It wasn't as simple as just telling the owner, hey, this is what we're doing because I'm Bill Belichick. Likewise, Doug Marone obviously doesn't have that kind of clout. I think that Tom Coughlin does, and I think that Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, probably sees and appreciates the appeal of Gardner Minshew. And while all this drama is going on with Jalen Ramsey, that I could see Shad Khan, the owner, a man who, by the way, paid for the Jacksonville Jaguars with cash, cash money, didn't finance it at all. 
he can he can say goodbye to a few million guaranteed, not to mention you could trade away. Well, if you trade away Nick Foles, you're going to have to eat the money, but maybe you can get a draft pick, uh, a higher draft pick for him. Regardless, uh, I, I, this is going to be one of the fun stories to watch over the next few weeks. I mean, do you see? I told you the Minshew mania was going to get me. I, I thought I was going to spend five minutes on that. I spent it, spend it again. There goes that 12 hours of radio and the after effects. I spent, tw- I spent 10 minutes on that when I spent intended to spend five. My goodness. This is, I've got a charity event tonight. I've got a Bulls and Blackjack charity event. Former Texan Wade Smith is doing this. I'm going to be playing Texas Hold'em. I don't know how to play Texas Hold'em. I'm going to watch some YouTube videos before I go. I don't want to be the person that holds up the table. But this is one of the things I was planning on doing yesterday while I ended up doing the, the 12 hours of radio. So we'll see. I'm playing for charity. I'm not putting up any of my own money. I'm playing for Camp Hope, which is a home in, a home that there's several of them nationwide. They help veterans with PTSD. So I'm really excited about that. But I just want to be sure that I, I play enough that I have a chance at winning and beating some of the other dumbass football players such as myself. I don't have to beat the actual good gamblers, just the dumbass football players, and I'll earn some money for Camp Hope. So I'm genuinely excited about that. You, my friends, should be excited about this. The NFL on CBS, because now you can stream your local game live every Sunday with CBS All Access, available across all your favorite devices. You can also watch games on CBS or on CBS.com through your TV provider. So for a one-week free trial of CBS All Access, simply go to CBS.com slash Seth. That's CBS.com slash Seth. You're going to get a free one-week trial. And if you're a cord cutter, if you're one of these people that's trying to figure out how to be a sports fan and watch your game, CBS All Access is a huge, huge, huge tool in that tool belt. Try it out free for a week, CBS.com slash Seth. Is this the end of Eli Manning, or just another phase? Uh, who knows? So uh, you know, and it's again, I'm not dying, and the season's not <laughs> over. So there's there's a lot, lot to be positive about, a lot to be grateful for, and uh, you know, and and so I just gotta you know kind of accept my new role and, and make the best of it. Eli, How does this move you make you? Uh, yeah, I haven't again. Haven't you know? Just taking this day by day. So just trying to figure out how to how to run a scout team. That was my number one uh, number one um, objective of today, and, and uh, thought it did pretty well. Not talking about other teams this season, but how does this move impact the way you think about your future? Uh, you know, uh, again, I'll, I'll get into the futures later on. So right now, my, my futures. Hey, I, I'm the I'm the second string quarterback of the Giants, and, and I got to get myself ready to play. Uh, and, and you know do, do whatever I'm, uh, I'm called upon and feel I need to do to help out the rest of my teammates. So there's Eli Manning, and uh, as, as the man asked, is this, is this the end of Eli Manning? Which, at first I thought was a dumb question, but look, Eli had been speaking for almost five minutes in that press conference and had given nothing but cliche answers. That answer... That question actually gave a really good answer, which was Eli Manning saying, hey, I'm not dying. <laughs> um, and he has, he has a remarkable perspective on the fact that he is just benched after 15 years as the starting quarterback of the New York football giants, but for that one game a couple years ago when he was benched. And I think he probably handled that as well as anybody I've seen handle it, including even Tony Romo, just because Eli just handled it with such ease. It didn't look like – you could tell that it was hard for him, but there were about eight moments watching that interview 
including the cliche parts in the five minutes that preceded that actually good chunk of, of audio, where I almost started tearing up. I did a little role play exercise and I put myself in Eli's situation because I've been through this. I've, I've been cut at the end of my career. I've been a backup. I've had to go from that role where you're a starter to all of a sudden you're not a starter and teams aren't looking at you the same way. And it's a big check to your ego. And I never once was nearly at the level of Eli Manning in terms of respect and accomplishments and all of that. So for him to be able to sit there and and talk about how his challenge is running the scout team, which he's never done before. He came in and started immediately and never had to run the scout team. The scout team is it's you're going from being a computer programmer to being a guy that feeds the old IBM cards into a machine. You're not it's you're looking at cards that tell you where to throw the football and you're doing it against the actual starters. That's a huge that's a huge ego check if you have an ego. And I think the thing that was apparent about Eli Manning here was that it was uh, he doesn't he doesn't have an ego, you know, and and I think people know that. But for all of for all of his goofiness or for all of his Eli face or whatever it is, I think one of the things I'll remember about him the most in terms of his persona is this press conference right here and the way that he he did mention multiple times, even when he was speaking in cliches. You can read you can read into it in a good way or a bad way. He was saying a lot of good things about how he's there to support Daniel Jones. That's his job is to give him tips but not overload him. And it looked like he'd really changed his gears into saying, hey, this is my job. This is my role at this moment, and I'm going to do the best I can at it. Now, who knows? Maybe we'll find out all kinds of of rumors that he demanded to be traded and whatnot. The other big question would be just how does it get to this point? How do you draft a quarterback – as high as you did with Daniel Jones and yet still keep Eli Manning on and think that you're going to extract something out of him that frankly people haven't seen for several years now. Most of the league has been out on Eli Manning as a guy that's just, he's aged. He'd, he'd gotten to that point and it's been a few years now where his arm just wasn't the same. And I don't know what you're waiting for at that point. Other than that, I think of a lot of these other quarterbacks have done so well into their late 30s that that maybe there's a tendency to think, hey, maybe this is just a blip and he'll be fine. But I think obviously it was much more to that. Once once your arm goes completely, unless you have some kind of a Kurt Warner type of reawakening, and maybe that's what they were waiting for was a Kurt Warner type reawakening, but... They've made their decision. He's moving on with it. I wish Eli Manning the best. I've I've met his family uh, before. Well, I've met Archie, and I, I played against Peyton, obviously. But I met Archie once, and he's another one of these guys in life that you meet that because I because at the time I was playing in the AFC South, and I really really did not like Peyton Manning much because he was killing us all the time. I met Archie Manning, and it was one of those people that I, I kind of didn't want to like. I wanted to hate the Manning family, but I met Archie Manning, and I met and I met Eli at the same golf event. It was a Tom Coughlin charity golf event for his foundation. And I ended up talking to Archie for about a half hour. A lot of it was about the New Orleans restoration after Katrina <laughs> and how passionate he was about that. We talked to him about parenting. We talked about Eli. And at the time, 
at the time we had this conversation, it was when Tagliabue was stepping down and Roger, Roger Cattell was taking over. And Archie said that, that Eli had called Archie and was talking to him and said, hey, I'm, I'm having dinner with Tagliabue next week. Is he, is he retiring or something? And he's just completely oblivious to it. And Archie was saying this in a way that it was a blessing to Eli that he really he just focused on football and didn't worry about all these other things. And that's pretty well documented that he and – Eli, or excuse me, Eli and and Peyton are completely different guys. But uh, other than that, look the okay. Oh oh oh, I'll play you guys this audio. We played this on my radio show today, but I'll play it again because it's just too good. Mike Francesa, New York radio legend, had a weekly show with Pat Shermer, who is the head football coach, obviously for the New York Football Giants. Uh, this is this is at least one of the exchanges that led Pat Shermer to no longer do this weekly show with with Mike Francesa. I mean, I hate to say it, but you look like a terrible team. So through, yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not good at anything. I mean, so you got a really good running back, uh, and you got a good kicker who missed a field goal yesterday. But other than that, you don't look very good at anything. You can't get the ball in the end zone, and you can't stop anybody. That's a hard combination. Well, those are things that we got to work on as we move forward. Ouch. That's, uh, that's some brutal stuff right there. Now, it's important to note that Pat Shermer was not getting paid for that appearance. He was just doing it as a courtesy to the station because WFAN, who's a sister station of mine at Entercom, uh, we work for the same company, that I believe they broadcast the games up there. So they are uh, – uh, Shermer was just doing it because that's the station that has a relationship with the team. <sighs> so many thoughts about this. One, I, I personally think it was out of line. And Frances has been at this a long time, one of the legends in the industry. He was one of the very first full-time sports radio hosts in America. They were revolutionary, and they created a whole new industry, of which I am now a happy participant. But we get into these discussions sometimes, and, and listeners will say, well, I bet you wouldn't say that to his face when we're going off on a rant of some sort. And the simplest answer is, of course, I wouldn't say it to a guy's face directly. But I've been on both sides of the mic here. So I've been an athlete and I've also been a radio host. And I think as an athlete or as a coach, you kind of know what comes with the business. There's sports radio and it's ideally sports radio sounds like people talking in a bar, having a conversation, an informed conversation, and they have the responsibility of being media members and all of that. But still, conversation that's in a bar. So if you're a Giants fan sitting in the bar, you're saying exactly what Francesca said. You've got a couple talented players, but you're not doing anything well. You don't look like a good football team. But players and athletes understand that for the most part and get it. It sucks sometimes. It sucks when you hear it. And, but you can turn that off and you can remove yourself from it and you don't have to be exposed to it. When you're going on somebody's radio show as a guest and you're trying to comport yourself as a representative of the New York Giants and as a head football coach and you basically get verbally assaulted like that, it puts a football coach in a tough situation. And, and frankly, Francesca was just being rude to another human being. This is one thing that I, I try to do, I'm trying to do a better job of this year because it's one thing that I've discovered and realized is that when you go to the press conferences at least once a week, even if you're not answering, asking questions, it reminds you as a radio host, because radio hosts, we sit up in ivory towers and it's really, it's really easy to get isolated and uh, to kind of either value your own opinion too much 
not take enough input from your listeners. And then also, and this is third and most crucial, sometimes you forget that the people you're covering are actual human beings. And you need to remember that, obviously, when you're criticizing people. I, Francesca, frankly, didn't treat that guy, didn't treat Pat Shermer the way that I think you would treat a normal human being when you're talking to his face or on the phone or what have you in, in terms of the relationship they have. So Pat Shermer cancels that weekly appearance, and I'm sure that Pat Shermer will be happier for it. At this point, who knows? Maybe, maybe Francesca doesn't want that show. Maybe didn't like that interview anyway. Look, frankly... NFL football coaches are often some of the most boring interviews because unlike college football coaches who are always recruiting, college football coaches are the best because they're always recruiting. They gotta they gotta sound good so kids' parents will want their kids to go to school there. They're always selling. So they say some interesting things. NFL coaches for most, for the most part, it's the last thing in the world they want to be doing on that given day. They don't have to sell anything to anybody other than wins and losses for the most part. So they just want to get off the phone. So Pat Shermer's probably happier. Maybe Francesca's happier because the interview isn't happening. And uh, New York Giants fans are happy because they feel like Francesca told off a coach the way that they'd like to tell off a coach. I personally think he went a little too far. Okay, one more thing I want to leave you with before before I get off today. This is going to be a weird one, okay? So, uh, and, and somewhat of a personal matter, but I feel I, I want to open myself up to you. And this is a, almost a really embarrassing thing. It's not a big thing. It's not an emotional thing or anything. But it's an embarrassing thing that I have no idea how it got to be this way. We were having a discussion about a year ago on air about some study we'd seen about what percentage of men use the fly on their underwear and what percentage of men go over the top of the band. And it's split about 50-50. And I was having this conversation about it. And I think I, we had it uh, twice about this study before I understood and realized, and the men that are listening right now will appreciate this. The women might not. This will be new information to these women, just like it was new information to me. Whenever people talked about going over the top of their underwear, I always thought that they did what I did for the first 44 years of my life, which is when I used to go to the bathroom, when I used to urinate, I would unbuckle my belt, unbutton my pants, unzip my pants, and then go over the top of the underwear. I had no idea. I had no idea. God's honest truth that the vast majority of men, maybe 100% of men other than me, just undo the fly and then go over the top of the underwear in that way because I always I would have always been terrified of the zipper so I find this information out and I think well what's wrong with me and, and frankly I, I took some light ribbing light to moderate ribbing on Twitter and through the text line on the radio show so I started a, a couple months ago doing it the way that apparently the majority of men do and my god it's a it's a game changer it's a life changer it's uh, it's a cleaner crisper operation it's neater there's less drizzle for some reason somehow I don't know how or why I think maybe gives you uh, and we'll get we'll get a little bit more graphic here I think because you actually have to really extract and put put uh, it, it separate from any uh, boy that's gonna get more graphic than I want to anyway it's a cleaner operation uh, frankly I'm proud of myself. I feel like giving myself a pat on the back every time I'm done doing it. Like I'm a big boy. Like, oh, now I'm now I'm going to the bathroom like a big boy. Good job, Seth. And I don't know if this is because I was a because I was a product of a broken home. Dad wasn't around to really show me at some point in my life how to urinate like an actual man. I, I don't blame him for it. I know things happen. Families break up. Do whatever. So uh, so there you go. There's your tip of the day. When you urinate, 
you don't have to unzip you don't have to unbutton or unbuckle your your belt so there you go everybody have a great weekend this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.